they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on Friday, the 3rd of November. It is the first Friday of November. It's a day to make reparation to the most sacred heart of Jesus for um, all the indifference with which he is offended. He said to Margaret Mary, Behold this heart which has so loved man and has been so little loved in return. Let us love Jesus. Let us love him deeply. Let us love him sincerely. Let us love him till it hurts. All right, and we'll begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, Grant that in the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. We ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni sunt celia terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this has been a tremendously um, busy week spiritually. On Tuesday, we had uh, the Eve of All Hallows, Halloween, the Eve of All Saints. And then we had on November 1st, All Hallows. We celebrated All Saints. And then on, on uh, Wednesday, we had um, this is the, the All Souls Day, which was November 1st, Wednesday, right? Yeah, November 1st was Wednesday. So we had All Souls Day. And the readings, there, you know, there's some tremendous readings for all of those. And um, I actually got my inspiration for today's show on Monday at the, at the liturgy, and it was the responsorial psalm. And I thought, you know, we really, 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 really need to read this psalm often and remind ourselves God is in charge. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in the church, God is in charge. The church is not 
a human institution. It's not just an institution. The church is the mystical body of Christ. It's his holy and beautiful bride. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for his for her life he died. Paul says we are members of his body. Okay? Members of the church. We're members of his body. And he 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 Paul also teaches us that marriage is a sign of the relationship between Christ and his church. That Christ is the bridegroom, the church is his bride. So when the church gives us readings, we need to pay attention to them. And even if you can't get to daily mass, try and spend 15 minutes reading the readings of the day. You can get them online. You can get yourself a missal, you know, the daily Roman missal, or you can get, you know, whatever, just get yourself a missal or just have a Bible. And you can look them up online on the um, National Conference of Catholic Bishops website. They give you the daily readings. And uh, so Psalm 68, what does Psalm 68 say? Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be joyful. Let them exalt before God. Let them be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praise to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides upon the clouds. His name is the Lord, exalt before him. So already here in the beginning, we're being told, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Who are his enemies? Well, his first enemy is Satan, because Satan is the first one who rebelled against God. What makes you an enemy of God? Rebelling against his will, rebelling against what he has commanded. You know, God didn't make the Ten Commandments to take away our fun. God made us, and God made us for the purpose of knowing him, of coming into union with him. He made us to show forth his goodness and to share his happiness with us. But in order to do that, we had to live a certain way. And so once man had rebelled against God, and sin had become profuse on this earth, had proliferated itself by man's actions, then God gave us the commandments. And the commandments are kind of like the owner's manual. If you want happiness, these are the things you need to do. You know, it's interesting because people have this idea that obedience is doing whatever you're told. Whatever you're told. Whatever you're told, no matter what you have to do, that's obedience. And I I think that's kind of what they're taught in the military, unfortunately, sometimes. That's not true obedience, okay? You know, we have the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It has a nice little glossary in the back. And I want to read to you what it says here about obedience because I think it's important that we understand the difference between conformity and obedience. There is a difference. Conformity, yeah, I'm done. I do whatever I told. You know, that's that's what people do. You know, I follow the law, even if the law says kill children. I follow the law, even if the law says I can divorce my wife. I follow the law, you know. Um, so what are you going to do? You're going to follow the law now that they're arresting Christians and, and um, putting them in jail because they're exercising their right to free speech? Obedience is the submission to the authority of God. Obedience is submission to the authority of God, which requires everyone to obey the divine law. The divine law is first. It's above any human law. The divine law is first. Obedience to the church is required in those things that pertain 
to our salvation. And obedience is due to legitimate civil authority, which has its origin in God for the sake of common good and the order of society. So when countries make laws like you can kill children, that's not a legitimate law. And it doesn't have to be obeyed. As a matter of fact, it needs to be opposed. All right? When countries make laws like, yeah, you can divorce your, your wife, your spouse, you can divorce your wife or your husband. No, that brings disorder. It brings the disintegration of the family. And if this family disintegrates, society disintegrates. That's not for the common good. The law is supposed to be for the common good. It's like traffic laws. We have traffic laws. Why? Because if we didn't have traffic lights and stop, light, stop signs and you have to stop when it's red and you have to stop at the stop sign, we'd have chaos and confusion in society and accidents all the time. We see accidents anyway because people don't pay attention and don't obey the law. The fourth commandment obliges children to obey their parents. Obedience of faith. The first obedience is that of faith, to listen to and freely submit to the word of God. And then we obedience of Christ. Where's our example? Jesus Christ became obedient unto death, even to death on the cross. And because of this, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name above every name, so that at Jesus' name, every knee must bend in the heavens, on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue proclaim to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, God's enemies are all those, and we can be his enemy too if we start giving into sin and refusing to keep his commandments. All right, we need to be careful that we don't make ourselves enemies of God, which is a very strong possibility. You know, we're weak, we're human, we're weak, we fall, we forget what it is that, you know, we're supposed to be doing. We want to be comfortable, we want to be, have our pleasure, we want to. Have everybody, you know, <laughs> how do you say it? We want everybody to tell us how good we are and how wonderful we are. And, you know, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What is obedience? Obedience is keeping God's law. Okay. It's not just doing whatever we want. And it's not just conformity. All right. So we have to weigh things. We have to weigh the laws that our country makes and ask, is that law in conformity with the will of God? Okay. Um, so arise, O Lord, let thy enemies be scattered. And God will scatter his enemies. And these enemies is not just the devil is first. And by the way, the devil's our enemy too. He hates God and he hates anything that's good. And he wants us all to be destroyed because we're made in God's image as persons to be loved and to image God in society, to build the kingdom of God. So he's trying to destroy that. Keep it in mind, we have an enemy, and he just wants us to sin. And pursue pleasure. Pursue pleasure, pursue pleasure. Pursue money for its own sake. All of these things. This is what the devil inspires. So we sing to God, sing praises to his name, and lift up a song to him who rides upon the clouds. His name is the Lord, exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in the holy habitation. So on the other side of this break, we want to talk a little bit more about Psalm 68 and what it means and how we are to live it in this life. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio on Bible with the Farmers. And please share this program with all your friends and family. Please share the app with everyone you know. That's how we get listeners by you all sharing it with people. Right back. Yeah.
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the first Friday of the month of November. It is November 3rd. Today's the 3rd. <laughs> the Feast of St. Martin de Porres. So we have this. God is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows. Is God in his holy habitation. God gives the desolate a home to dwell in. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So the father of the fatherless and, and the Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 238 acknowledges that many religions invoke God as father. You know, the deity is considered the father of the gods and of men. So in Israel, God is called father inasmuch as he is the creator of the whole world. Even more, God is father because of the covenant and the gift of the law to Israel. Israel, his firstborn son. Remember, Israel is called the firstborn son in Exodus 4.22. God is also called father of the king of Israel. So he's the father of the king. And most especially, he is the father of the poor, of the orphaned and the widowed who are under his loving protection. God loves us. He desires our good. He wants what is good for us. By the way, why he gave us the commandments, which I talked about in the, in the first part. And what is obedience? Doing the will of God. And how does obedience relate to morality? Because some people are confused about that. It's like, okay, well, obedience is just doing whatever you're told to do, whereas morality is doing what's right. Well, morality refer, is referring to the goodness or the evil of a human act. Whether the act is good or, or evil, there's a morality attached to it. So if it's good, it's moral. If it's not good, if it's evil, it's immoral. But what is morality? Human freedom makes a person a moral subject or agent able to judge the morality, the goodness or the evil. Morality is the goodness or the evil of an act. So we know, we can judge. We can judge whether what we're going to do is good or evil. The morality of human acts depends on three things. The object or nature of the action itself. The intention or end foreseen. What is the end you have in mind? And the circumstances of the action. All right. Some acts are always gravely morally evil, no matter what. Okay. Abortion, gravely morally evil. Uh, murder, taking the life of the innocent always gravely morally evil. You know, I don't, I'm not going to name them all now, but there are certain acts that are always gravely morally evil. The use of contraception in marriage is always gravely morally evil because you're taking the place of God. You're, you're saying, God, you don't have a place in my marriage as far as determining whether or not I'm going to have children. And as Catholics, we, at our marriage, agree to be open to life that's what, what is required by the moral law, to be open to God's plan. That if God blesses us with a child, we accept that child willingly and lovingly. And we don't look upon that child as a burden, but we look at, upon that child as a gift and with love. So obedience is doing what God commands. And morality is the goodness or the evil of an action. And we are moral subjects. We have to judge whether or not the action that we're planning on 
engaging in is moral? Is it in accord with God's will? Is it in accord with God's law? You know, deliberately, willfully breaking any of the Ten Commandments is morally evil. So, so God's enemies are those who do thus. And God's enemies will be scattered. In the end, they will put, be put to everlasting confusion, eternal confusion. Hell is eternal. We have a choice before us. I put before you today life and death. Choose life then that you may live. We choose life by choosing God's will, by saying no to ourselves and doing what it is that God is asking us to do in the moment. O God, when thou didst go forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, the earth quaked and the heavens poured down rain at the presence of God. Sinai quaked at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, thou didst shed abroad. Thou didst restore thy heritage as, as it languished. Thy flock found a dwelling in it. In thy goodness, O God, thou didst provide for the needy. God cares. He cares about every aspect of our life. And we go back, read the story, read the truth that is in the Bible, the truth about God's care for his people. When they were in slavery, he freed them from Egypt and he brought them out. But again, if we sin, if we rebel against him, then we seal our fate. He is just. And in that justice, he will punish sin. And if we do not repent of our sins, that punishment can be eternal. St. John Vianney used to speak. He was the curé of ours. He's the pa he's patron saint, by the way, of parish priests. Um, he would speak to his congregation. He would weep. He would say, God wants to bless you. And you, you forced him to curse you by your sins because they weren't giving them up. And he spent hours in the confessional, <laughs> as much as 18, as much as sometimes 18 hours a day hearing confessions. Why? Because he so much understood that sin is an offense against God and it's a real offense. And because it's a real offense, it offends God. It hurts us. And we need to say, we're sorry. I am sorry for my sins that, yeah, God's willing to forgive us. But unless we ask, he will not forgive. We have to ask. And in addition to asking for forgiveness for ourselves, we have to make an act of the will to forgive those who hurt us. If I don't make an act of the will to forgive those who hurt me, and I harbor in my soul and in my heart bitterness and resentment, it's going to tear me up and destroy me. It degrades me as a human person. To allow the hatred of another person to so weasel its way into my heart that I refuse to forgive. No, Lord, I make an act of the will to forgive. I don't consent to the sin of anger, but when somebody hurts me, I acknowledge the hurt. It hurts. When an injustice is done, it hurts, Lord, it hurts. But you suffered on the cross and you didn't come to take away human suffering. You didn't come to eradicate it. You came to fill it with your presence. So we unite our sufferings to Christ. Paul said, I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. The Catholic Church didn't make that up. That's in the scriptures that Paul wrote that. What does he mean? Well, Christ suffered for us, but what's lacking is our choice. 
Only we can freely choose God. Because we are moral agents, because we have a free will, we have to make the choice to choose God. And you know what? A lot of us like to blame other people for the consequences of our choices. We make a choice and later on it turns out badly and we want to blame everybody around us. Instead of taking responsibility and saying, Lord, I made a bad choice and I'm in a really tough situation and it really hurts. So I want to blame everybody else around me and feel sorry for myself. Instead of, you know, instead of acknowledging that and, and saying, Lord, I take responsibility, but I'm sorry. I didn't see the full consequences and we can't necessarily see the full consequences of our choices. But we need to stop blaming the people around us for the consequences of our choices. And we need to acknowledge that our choices have consequences. And sometimes those consequences aren't so nice. You know, if I choose to eat a half a gallon of ice cream in one sitting, it's probably going to make me very, very sick. I know for sure that if I were to choose to eat a pound of chocolate in one sitting, it would make me very sick. I wouldn't feel well at all. It would be devastating for my body. Well, if I made that choice, it's a bad choice. I made it. It's called gluttony. I'm pleasing my taste buds, but I'm not helping my body. I'm not nourishing my body. I'm not taking care of the temple of God that I am. So we have to take responsibility for our actions. We have to take responsibility for the choices that we made. And we can sing God's praises even when we're miserable, okay? Sing his praises, sing to God a hymn of joy. Praise him for his goodness. Even in the midst of darkness, look at the good. Look at the good, acknowledge the good in God and will to take delight in it. The Lord gives the command. Great is the host of those who bore the tidings. The king of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil. Though they stay among the sheepfolds, the wings of a dove is covered with silver, its pinion with green gold. Where the almighty scattered kings, there snow fell. So God is there. God is with us. He will defend us. And most of all, do we call on him in the midst of temptation? You know, oftentimes we read these things and it's like, well, see, he, you know, he gave you know, prosperity to his people. He gave them the Holy Land, the land flowing with milk and honey. You know, uh, life was easy for them. Well, no, it wasn't easy. They had to go out and plow the fields and, and then they had to gather in the harvests. And, you know, it was tough. <laughs> life was tough back then, real tough. They lived in tents a lot of times and they wandered around. But the greatest thing that God is trying to, to, to keep us from is sin. Sin degrades the human person. Sin destroys God's image in us. Sin darkens our intellect, it weakens our will, and it makes us ugly. We were made in God's image, and because we're made in God's image, we're beautiful. And our souls in the state of grace are exceedingly beautiful because they image God. And God is the source of all beauty. But when we sin, that image, if it's a mortal sin, that image is shattered. If it's a venial sin, that image is clouded. It's not so clear. But every sin, whether mortal or venial, it still darkens the intellect and it still weakens the will. That's why we don't make a compromise with venial sin. And yes, there is a distinction in scripture. Look at the, the letter of John, the first letter of John. There's a sin that is deadly and a sin that is not deadly. 
he says. Mortal, deadly. That's what we call mortal sin, a sin that will kill the soul. It's deadly to the soul. So we don't commit that. We pray God for the grace every day not to fall into mortal sin. And we can never infallibly know if we're in the state of grace, but we know if we desire to be. Dear Lord, if I'm not in the state of grace, put me in the state of grace. And if I'm in the state of grace, please keep me in the state of grace. Joan of Arc said at her trial, that was her answer to her enemies when they tried to trip her up by saying, oh, Joan, dear, knowing that she was a peasant girl and didn't know theology so well, are you in the state of grace, dear? And her answer was from God. If I am not in the state of grace, may God put me in the state of grace. And if I'm in the state of grace, may he keep me there. God gave her the light to understand that, no, you don't infallibly know if you're in the state of grace, but you know that you desire it. So you're going to ask me for it. I hear that music. These breaks come up really fast. So we're looking at Psalm 68 and knowing and acknowledging that God is God and we are not and that he is in charge in the church and in the world and he is powerful to save us and he wants to save us from sin and he wants to save us share this with your friends and families and don't go away because we'll be right back with more on Bible with the Bible now back to Bible with the Barbers if you have a question or comment call 888-526-2151 here's Terry and Mary Danielle Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, November the 3rd, 2023. And we're talking right now about Psalm 68, and I encourage you all to read it and to pray it. Pray this psalm. Ask the Lord to open your heart. The word of God is living and effective. It pierces more surely than the double-edged sword. So the psalm goes on, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in verse 19 it says, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs escape from death. And of course, escape from eternal death. And there's also, read Psalm 91 as you read this. Think of Psalm 91 where a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 fall at your right. Yes, he can save us from physical death, but near you it shall not come. The story I've told before about the, the British platoon in, in World War I that prayed Psalm 91 every day in the trenches and all of them came back home alive. The stories from World War II of, of men who were seeing combat and battle, who made Eucharistic adoration, or who prayed the rosary every day, and who were, who were preserved. Their lives were preserved. But you know what? You can also be assured that their souls were preserved. Men who go into war end up with a lot of serious moral evil in their baggage. So... But if you pray every day, God will preserve you from that. And that's what we're praying for. We don't want to live on this earth forever. We have no permanent home here. This is not our lasting city. We want to live in union with God. Okay? And it goes on in verse 32. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Lo, he sends forth his voice, his mighty voice, Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, and his power is in the skies. Terrible is God in his sanctuary, the God of Israel, and he gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. What do they mean by terrible? Frightening, awful? No, awesome, full of awe. You know, if, if, if we were to see God, we would die. 
Who can see God and live? Remember, Jacob wrestles with the angels and then he says, wow, wait a minute, I'm, I saw God. <laughs> you know, how can I live? How can I go on living? Well, because God is awesome. God is God and we are not. And he won't be mocked. We need to praise him. We need to give glory to his name. And we need to, you know, have the, the solemn, verse 24, thy solemn processions are seen, O God, thy processions of my God, my king into the sanctuary. God is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. We need to re-enthrone God as the king of kings and Lord of lords. The, strain, the singers in front, the minstrels in the last, between them maidens playing trembles. Bless God in the great congregation. The Lord, O you who are Israel's fountain. So we're supposed to sing the praises of God. We rejoice in the presence of God. We rejoice in his, his, his goodness, his mercy, his love for his people. We rejoice in his power and his might, his ability to save us from sin, his ability to bring us to holiness of life and bring us into conformity with himself. God desires that we should live in union with him. He desires that we should be in the state of grace and that we should always stay in the state of grace. So we have to fight against sin. We have to fight against our own nature, our own weaknesses, and God will help us if we ask him. But do we ask? Do we ask do we ask the Lord to keep us from sin or do we just ask him for a nice house, a good job, material benefits, all the pleasure we want? It's interesting. The more pleasure we get, more earthly, carnal pleasure we get, the less satisfied we are with it. So the more we want. It's like drugs. Why do people become addicts? Because they start out with, you know, a little bit here and Pretty soon it's like, it doesn't satisfy me anymore. So they want more and more and more and more. And it's, it's, it's the law of diminishing returns. You're never satisfied because, as Bishop Sheen once said, there's a God-sized hole in your heart. And only God can fill that hole. So we sing his praises and we glory in his holy name and we acknowledge the good that we see in him and we will to take delight in that good. Even if we're experiencing depression or challenging times or it seems like our whole world is falling apart. We look at God and acknowledge his beauty, his goodness, his truth, and will to take delight in it. And St. Francis de Sales says if we do that, his grace will come flooding into our souls. He will give us the strength and the courage we need. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that there were a lot of readings this week that really struck me, that this Psalm 68 from Monday and then for All Souls Day, one of the optional readings for All Souls Day was Wisdom 4. And Wisdom 4 says this, The just man, though he die early, shall be at rest. For the age that is honorable comes not with the passing of time, nor can it be measured in terms of years. Rather, understanding is the hoary crown of man, and an unsullied life the attainment of old age. He who pleased God was loved. He who lived among sinners was transported, snatched away lest wickedness pervert his mind or deceit beguile his soul. For the witchery of paltry things obscures what is right, and the whirl of desire transforms the innocent mind. 
This is such a beautiful reading. You know, we cry often when people die. And yeah, it's hard. It's hard for us to say goodbye. The fathers of the church said, you shouldn't cry if a person dies in the state of grace. Because if they die in the state of grace, they're going to go to heaven. Now, if you are fearing that they're going to go to hell, weep, weep. And by the way, let's pray for people who are dying, pray for the dying, that they will have the opportunity to repent before they die so that they don't go to hell. But this passage says, the just man, though he die early, shall be at rest. For the age that is honorable comes not with the passing of time, nor can it be measured in terms of years. Rather, understanding is the hoary crown, the hoary crown, the white hair, okay? So understanding, if we have that wisdom, that understanding, if we see things the way God sees them, then we have achieved age, even though we may be young. And an unsullied life, the attainment of old age. St. Dominic Savio, when he was seven years old, made a resolution, death, but not sin. St. John Bosco was his confessor. And St. John Bosco said, when Dominic Savio died at the age of 15, he had never broken that resolution. Death, but not sin. St. John de Berberf, when he was preparing to become a Jesuit, they make a 30-day retreat and they have to make an examination of their whole life. And he recorded in, his, in the diary, I have never commit a single voluntary, even venial sin. He never committed a moral sin. He had never even committed a single voluntary venial sin. He had attained wisdom. He had attained old age through his right living. And he died a martyr for the faith in North America at the hands of the Iroquois Indians. He died a martyr. It's interesting. The Indian who martyred him cut out his heart and ate it because he wanted to capture John's spirit. That Indian was converted to Christ. He captured the spirit. God is good. God loves us. He wants us to know him and to love him and to serve him. And he desires our good. He desires that we should live in union with him because living in union with him is what is going to bring us true happiness. Our happiness doesn't lie in possessing the things of this world. Our happiness doesn't lie in a good name. So somebody said one time, they said, I think it was one of the fathers, you have a good name until somebody starts kicking it down the street, right? It's like a ball. A good name is like a ball. As soon as somebody sees that you have it, they're going to start kicking it down the street. So I was like, oh, oh, gee. Yeah, right away, people are jealous of you. They want this, that, or that. They want to, they want to um, show their superiority, and they want to bring you down. It's interesting that this happens. It's really true. You know, people say, oh, I want, to, I want goodness. I want, to, I want what you have. I see that you pray every day. I see that you go to church, and I want the joy that I see you have. But... But then you see, they'll attack you and they'll try and bring you down. They'll try and make you angry. They'll try and get you to do something that is against the joy that you show in your, your relationship with Christ. So we have to guard ourselves against the attacks of others, against our own weakness, because all these things of the world tend to pull at us and attract us, beauty, Oh, the possibility of, you know, a pleasure that we might think is going to be so pleasurable. And then once we get it, we find out it's not so pleasurable. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1308, they mention this, um, this psalm here. And um, they, they have a reference to wisdom 4.8. And it's, um, 
this is what it, it's it's from a, a quote from St. Thomas Aquinas. Okay. Age of the body does not determine age of the soul. Age of the body does not determine age of the soul. Even in childhood, man can attain spiritual maturity. As the book of wisdom says, for old age is not honored for length of time or measured by the number of years. Many children, through the strength of the Holy Spirit, have received the strength of the Holy the, the strength they received from the Holy Spirit, have bravely fought for Christ even to shedding of their blood. Saint Tarsisius was twelve years old. The children at Fatima, Jacinta and Francisco, died very young. Now they didn't die a martyr's death, a physical martyr's death, but they lived their martyrdom in the penances and in offering up of their sufferings. And numerous throughout the ages, children. And now we have this Polish family that's been canonized, including the infant in the family who had been baptized. And the whole family's been canonized. And so this is from World War II, this Polish family that resisted the Nazis and, and held to the truth of Christ and wouldn't say that, you know, um, we're not, wasn't going to go along with the evil that um, the Nazis in Germany were promoting. So I see that we're coming up uh, on that break. <laughs> so don't go away. Please share this with your family and friends. Let them know that we're here. Anyone who wants to make a donation, call 877-526-2151. Remember that your prayers and your sacrifices, though, are a great donation to this apostolate. So don't forget to remember us in your prayers and your sacrifices. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Invite someone to join us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. The 20, the, this, this is November 3rd, the third day of November. It's first Friday. Please remember, um, spend some time with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Let him um, know that you love him. Let's return love for love. His heart was so wounded. His heart is still so wounded by our lack of love. He, it cost him so much. It co we cost him so much. And we are indifferent. And that's very sad. So here we are. Um, I want to thank all the radio stations that pick us up. I want to thank um, all of our listeners, our benefactors, our, our staff, our volunteers, the people who offer their prayers and sacrifices for us. This is going to be the last segment of today's show. I'm going to talk about Romans 5 right now. Again, I, was, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, there were readings for this week that were just really struck me. And one of them, I, Father read for um, the Feast of All Souls, he read Romans 5, 5 through 11. And the, the reading is, Brothers and sisters, hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For Christ... While we were still helpless, died at the appointed time for the ungodly. Indeed, only with difficulty does one die for a just person, though perhaps for a good person one might find the courage to die. But God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we are now justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath? Indeed, if while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more once reconciled will we be saved by his life? Not only that, but we boast of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive reconciliation. So hope does not disappoint. And if you read the beginning of that, the letter to the Romans, um, Paul brings in the whole aspect of the, the, the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. We are justified by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have attained access to this grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. That's our hope, sharing the glory of God. That's what we rejoice in, sharing the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So these virtues were given to us. They're gifts. They weren't ours. We didn't earn them. They were free gifts given to us. Do we employ them? Do we exercise the gift of faith through prayer? Do we exercise the gift of hope through mortification? Do we exercise the gift of charity through almsgiving? And by, again, offering our sufferings in union with Jesus. Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence, okay? So God loved us so much. Remember in... in, uh, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he sent his only begotten son, that all those who believe in him might not die but have eternal life. We were perishing. We were all perishing. None of us, not even the Blessed Virgin Mary, on virtue of our own merits, were saved. The Blessed Virgin Mary was saved in virtue of the merits of her son. But because of her unique calling, God gave her a unique gift. She never had original sin. <laughs> She was never an enemy of God. She was always his friend. That was God's grace. That wasn't Mary. Mary's not a goddess. She's a creature. But God made her beautiful because she is his own mother. What was it Whistler said about his mother when Whistler was asked about the picture of his mother? You know, did your mummy really? And he said, don't, don't we want to make our mummy as the best that she could be? If a human being wants to make their mother beautiful and good, or have their mother be beautiful and good and, and want to, if they were to paint a portrait of her or write a poem about her, talk about how good she is and how loving she is and, and ignore all her faults, wouldn't God make his mother without fault? You know, he created, he created Adam and Eve in the state of grace. Christ is the new Adam. Mary is the new Eve. The fathers of the church said this. So wouldn't he make the new Eve without sin? Doesn't that make sense? In addition to that, she is the Ark of the Covenant. She bore Christ in her womb. The covenant, the new covenant, the covenant, the everlasting covenant that God will never do away with or replace with another one. She bore him in her womb. And the, the Ark of the Covenant was spotless. It was beautiful. So, you know, just as Christ came and gave, you know, died to present to himself a bride who was pure and spotless without blemish or stain or anything of that sort. Mary is the archetype of the church and the church is the bride of Christ. But what is said of the church 
can only be said of it because it is first said and true of Mary. Yes, she's his mother, but mystically she is his bride. She is the new Eve, and the fathers of the church made this very clear. She is at his side, co-redeeming with him. She offers her whole life in union with Christ for the sake of the salvation of man. So what struck me in this reading really strongly was while we were yet helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, okay? Without baptism, without the grace of God, we are an ungodly people. Only God can make us godly. We are helpless. We are totally helpless. Because of original sin, we are oriented away from God and we're oriented only to ourselves. We're, we're closed in on ourselves and we just want our own pleasure all the faculties of our body are seeking their own pleasure, their own gratification, regardless of the good of the whole. That's why the body can act, by the way, in opposition to our will. We want to make sure that our minds and our wills are in accord with God's will, and then we want to bring the body along. But you can either treat your body like an animal that needs to be cowed, or you can treat your, your body like an animal that needs to be gentled. So that you get the body to trust the intellect and the will so that the, when the intellect and the will choose the good, the true, and the beautiful, the body will come along. That, by the way, was the gift of integration that Adam and Eve lost. So we don't have that. So when we experience this disorder in our nature, we don't have to get upset about it. We don't have to beat ourselves up and say, oh, we're horrible sinners. We're going to hell because I feel anger at my neighbor. I feel scared because of all this confusion and, and turmoil that's going on in my family or around me or in the world. No, it's okay. It's okay to feel the emotions. It's okay to feel your emotions. But what do you do with them? How do you direct them? How do you guide them to a godly outcome? You use your intellect and your will, but your body's got to trust your intellect and will. So be careful not to beat your body up too much, okay? And if, if, you, if we fall, if we sin, if I'm scared, I just turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm scared. I find this situation extremely terrifying. I need your help. You know, St. John Vianney, again, the curé of ours, the priest who heard confession so many hours, God allowed the devil to come and torment him because the devil was angry at him for winning so many souls, and it was part of the price to be paid for gaining those souls. And the first time the devil came to torment him, he, he, he says that he was terrified. He was absolutely terrified. He had this experience for 35 years, and he said that in those 35 years, he never overcame the feeling of terror that he had the first time the devil came. So here is a great saint, a man who heard confessions 18 hours a day and, and lived in the will of God. And, but in the presence of evil, he felt terror. So do you think we're not going to feel afraid in the presence of evil? In our world, in our world, evil is rampant. So if we feel fear, we have to do what John Vianney did. Lord, the devil has no power over me that you don't grant him. So I call on your name, Lord Jesus Christ. I call on the name of your blessed mother, Mary, because he hates that name. I make the sign of the cross. I sprinkle holy water. I live in the state of grace so that the devil can't attack me directly, but he can torment me from the outside if God wills it. But I don't have to give in to the terror. I don't have to act according to the thoughts that the terror inspires in my imagination. 
I resist the thoughts of the imagination that the terror inspires. I resist the thoughts of the imagination that the anger inspires. Lord, I don't consent to the sin of anger. Yes, I acknowledge that I feel the emotion of anger, but I'm not going to consent to the sin of anger. I'm not going to go out and beat somebody out up or break a bottle or throw a glass bottle at somebody. I'm not going to, um, you know, threaten to kill somebody or threaten to blow up somebody's house or threaten to somebody set somebody's cars on fire or threaten to do some harm of some sort. You know, even that a judge, I mean, so you got a bad decision from a judge. I know a man, he told me this story, you know, he got a really bad decision. It was very unjust. And one night he walked into a, a restaurant and that judge happened to be sitting there <laughs> And the man walked over him to him and said, you know what? You need to leave this restaurant now because you gave me a bad decision. I'm very angry about that. And I want to enjoy my dinner. And when you're here, I can't. The judge was afraid of the man. He left. That's not a victory for a Christian. That's terrible. Lord, I acknowledge that I'm angry at that judge, but I make an act of the will to forgive. Father in heaven, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive Lord, give me the grace to be able to forgive. But again, we don't short circuit our emotions. We don't just say, look, I'm not going to feel the emotion of anger. I'm just going to forgive. That's it. Boom, done. I'm going to bury the emotion of anger. Don't work that way. It'll come back on you. We need to feel the emotion of anger, acknowledge why we feel it, and then turn to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, there was an injustice done here. I pray for my own conversion that I can forgive. I, can, I don't consent to the sin of anger. I want, I make the act of the will to forgive. And I go forward and I pray for the judge that he can be more just in the future, that he doesn't continue handing down unjust decisions. This is wrong. It's hurtful. It destroys people's lives. And so we pray. We have to pray for our judges and our magistrates. Hey, in a world where killing children is legal, what do you expect your judges to be able to do? You know, are we praying for our judges that they would hand down proper decisions. So while we were helpless, God died for the ungodly. We are ungodly without God's grace. So we need God's help. And by the way, if we think we can do this without God's help, if we think we're going to get to heaven, if we think we're going to evangelize the world, if we think we're going to be able to lead people to Christ without God's help, without his mercy, without his grace, we're deceiving ourselves. The world is not turned toward God. The world, the flesh, and the devil are our enemies. The world, our own flesh, and the devil. The devil doesn't need any help. We got two already, okay? So let's turn to the Lord. Let's praise his holy name. Let's give glory to him. Let's read the Psalms and, and praise God through his, his holy use of his Bible as his holy word to praise him. And um, let's make an act of the will to forgive all those who have injured us and ask God for the grace to go forward and to become truly a living image of God in this world and to build up his kingdom. For the praise of the glory of God that his kingdom would come and his will be done. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Please share the app with everyone you know. And please, God, we'll be back next week. So come back and please bring friends with you so more people are listening.